and welcome back to Dollars and Dragons. Today I have with me Michelle Wynn Bradley. If you'd like to introduce yourself to the audience. Hello, I just took a sip of coffee and I had to swallow it real quick. Uh, hi, my name is Michelle Wynn Bradley. Um, I'm a producer, I'm a host, I'm an actual play um, actor and performer, voice actor, um, and uh, you know, organizer of my dog's things. So very important titles, all of them equally. <laughs> what kind of dog do you have? Uh, her name is Moogie. She's actually um, a mixed mutt we got from the the, uh, the shelter, the pound. Um, she looks kind of like if a German shepherd head was on a tiny corgi body and it wow. was all black and had a white tummy. Yeah, she like, has a weird miniature legs and like giant <laughs> head and like perky ears. Uh, must have a really strong neck. It's incredibly strong. She can. She's so low to the ground, she gets excellent torque. So if she wants to go in a different direction than you, she can just pull you, no matter how big you are. Um. Wow. Do you um you live in LA, right? Yes, Los Angeles. Okay, okay, yeah. Um is it is it hard to have a pet in LA or how does that work for you normally? Um when I first got her, I lived in an apartment, so I just committed to walking her four times a day when I woke up uh during lunch and I work from home, so you know, that wasn't a huge deal, but just committing to giving her a nice walk every four times a day, which is a lot for most dog owners. Um but now I'm in a house now and I have a backyard, so she has a little doggy door. She can go be free. Um and I still walk her twice a day though, so she can see the world. Right. Did you say four times a day? You used to walk your dog four times a day? Yeah, I just, my dog is very important to me. That's <laughs> and incredible. I want her to be happy. That's a, oh my God, that's such a level of dedication. Um, wow. Okay. Very impressive. Okay, so tabletop news. Let's talk yeah. about it. Um, what can you tell our audience about it and why they should support this Kickstarter uh, and what you all are planning to do in this space? Um, yeah, so tabletop news is currently live on Kickstarter. Um, it is a show that is meant to uplift others in this space so a lot of you know these big uh news networks exist now they're great but they kind of cover all nerd news so they'll be covering video games movies um and then i feel like gaming gets such a tabletop gaming specifically gets such a small slot in that huge um that that graph of what they can cover that week um so like you know a, a news about you know chris pine is definitely going to cover a news about a new kickstarter that sounds kind of cool out by an indie designer so our show is will cover of course like you know if there's really big news happening with as we call them the big the big companies like a hasbro or a funko sure um but we really are committed to having segments um and news uh, stories told about independent creators bipoc creators um even individual artists just making their art around um you know a game that includes uh, the whole community. So we really want to focus on the community and um, the way we're doing that is that the format of the show is going to be a weekly edited uh, release on all social media platforms. So whatever platform you use, it's just going to be there. You don't have to go looking for it. <laughs> um, and this 13 to 15 minute episode um, will be a complete episode that comes out on YouTube and then chopped up for social media. Um, our research has, has shown that basically, you know, if you already use TikTok, you're not going to, like, go follow a link and go find, like, you know, something else that's on Twitter um, and vice versa because people are comfortable where they are and um, they don't like to click around for stuff. Now, the problem with this, though, is that tabletop news in general is a very segmented, uh, you know, community. People who are on Twitter don't talk to the people who are on the TikTok, on TikTok you know, tabletop Twitter or, or you know, uh TikTok tabletop. It's very hard to say all these T words. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we're trying to, com you know, combine these communities to make the news sort of um, unilateral across uh, these mediums and to give people a really fun and like good look at like what's happening that week in tabletop gaming news. So that includes tabletop RPGs. It includes board games, card games, war games, whatever news is coming out that week. Um, we would like to kind of like touch on all of that. Of course, it's a, you know, it was a limited amount of time. Um, 
So uh, the, the goal is to start small, cover as much as we can with things that we're passionate about, and hopefully grow and get bigger. So that's, that's tabletop news in a nutshell. Yeah, that's. That, I think that's really great. Uh, one of the things that I noticed, I started as a professional GM like in the past year. I was doing stream shows prior to that, uh, kind of putting them together uh, all online, not studio shits. But um, and then from there, I was like, well, there's there's just not much uh, living wage in this um, for a number of reasons because it's a very small uh, indie sort of market. There's not a lot of uh, ways to monetize actual plays. And then I went into pro GMing. When I got into pro GMing, I noticed that um, there was not a pathway for people to sort of learn how to do it well and then to sort of expand uh, your business or like grow your business. Um, and that's kind of where I ended up starting my platform was initially starting some people out in Discord, helping them advertise better because my background is in advertising and marketing and things like that. Um, and it was really just uh, teaching people basic copywriting, essentially. And a lot of that, those basic skills and that availability for understanding advertising and getting the word out to people is immensely valuable for helping people uh, in the industry. Uh, a rising tide lifts all ships and mm -hmm. being able to allow for people to create their own space. Um, because if yeah. we don't level the playing field more, then it's really just the same people who came into the space with invested money rather than our organic growth that we're looking to achieve, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, what's amazing is that after we launched our Kickstarter, which is still going, of course, um, we got so many messages to, we have a contact email in our social media. I think it's contact at tabletopnews.com or press. You know, we have like 7,000 emails. Feel free to contact us. Uh, but we got so many emails from small businesses already giving us press releases, being like, hey, can we send you our game? Like, because I guess because our our stuff that we have out, our little videos, our social media, our teaser we made, um, they all look really good quality. So everyone's like, oh, so this show exists already. Like, we're going to start pitching to you. And we're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> um, you know, we've replied the same way. Like, thank you so much for this information. Let's stay in contact. We need to get this Kickstarter um, funded first or else we don't exist. Like, this is just a proof of concept that we yeah. hope can be backed by the community. Um, but anyway, just getting all of that, getting getting so many emails. Every day we're getting, like, tons of emails from small companies that are like, we just want to get our name out there. We just want people to know about our games. We love it. Um you know, or even gaming stores have been like, you know, contacting us too. They're like, how do we advertise? They don't know because they don't really have like them advertising on like a polygon doesn't really make any sense for them um, or something that's, uh, you know, that will just be a banner ad. Like that's really all we have options for is the Google, Google analytic ads and, um, you know, and social media pushes for your personal channels. But we know that's like kind of a mess too. So having a place where you can just submit a press release and maybe you'll get covered that week is great. You know, I mean, we're not going to charge for that. I mean, you, of course, you can buy sponsorships and we'll be very clear on our show about the delineation of like, hey, this is sponsored by, you know, Doritos. We're not going to talk about Doritos for 30 minutes, though. It's going to be like the segment sponsored by Doritos. There'll be an ad bug, you know, image at the bottom corner. Um, and that messaging will be like, thanks, Doritos, for sponsoring this week's segment of da 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 da. So um, just so people know, we've got a lot of questions about like, won't your show just be about like becoming a shill to whatever corporation? We're like, dude, do you know how advertising works? Like, <laughs> do you know so, what the FTC yeah. is? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, if you have seen, um, yeah, if you have seen, a Wayne's World or a, any movie and you see like Coke like just chilling like that was a paid placement but it's not about the Coke I don't think unless you're gonna keep talking about it but in that way you know we will um you know keep our our, our journalistic integrity um but again our show is our show is a fun way to like kind of talk about the new news of the week and we're not there to review we're not doing playthroughs we're not um you know gonna give a 30 minute tirade on 
why this is bad or you know we're really just focusing on the good that we like in this show and um kind of like spreading that out talking about what we're excited about um when I say we, obviously we have our hosts that are announced. They're really awesome. But um, in reality, like there's a huge team of producers that are, there's five of us producers who've been working on this show for the last year <laughs> for no pay. Um, and we are all passionate in different ways about different aspects of the uh, game, the board gaming, sorry, the tabletop gaming community. Um, whereas some of us seem like really entrenched in tabletop RPGs. Some of us only play like magic in Pokemon card games. And some of us really just like board games. and don't really do tabletop RPGs. So we come from a lot of different backgrounds. Um, so our production team will ensure the, you know, the content is mixed um, to try to give equal breadth to each kind of uh, tabletop gaming. And also um, we are going to be hiring, you know, professional writers and researchers as well. We're not going to just hope that we can just, you know, keep it all along. We want to make sure that our uh, our team is diverse enough um, with their backgrounds um, and ethnicities, to be to be clear, <laughs> uh, to cover, you know, everything and, and to have you know, not just one single person's opinion coming out on the show every every week. It's gonna. That's not the point. Yeah, yeah that's. A, I think it's a really unique uh, sort of piece of media or uh, thing that we are missing definitely um, in this age of new media. Is that uh, most sort of uh, news and articles and things are sort of geared towards that personal platform as opposed to a group of people doing something together. So yeah. that's. I think those things are great though too. So like people have asked us like, well, what do you, what about like Dicebreaker? What about like, what are about these other amazing, you know, platforms that already tell the news um, about uh, board gaming? Those are great. They're not doing what we're doing though. They're not doing short format. Um, and we actually would like to elevate other shows as well. We're not like, we're here to talk about everybody. So, you know, if you have your own personal podcast or YouTube channel where you do game reviews, we'd like to talk to you. We'd like to have you on to, as a guest, we'd like to interview you. We would like to, you know, um, you know, keep, uh, keep you in a roundup of like cool things we saw this week so um i think a lot of what we're doing is combine like connecting the community and stop making it so it is quite segmented you know like and of course nerds are passionate about the thing they're passionate about so uh i think it's scary to have someone come in and say we're gonna cover everything and then of course the knee-jerk response is like but you don't know me (laughs) you can't understand my point of view and we're not saying we do but we are saying we're trying to and we do want to be inclusive and that is the whole point because we don't want to be gatekeeping like parts of the community like I can't tell you how many people have said to me, walked up to me and been like, it's crazy you play D&D because they're like, I just, it just seems too hard. And I'm like, really? D&D to me, that's the most accessible of all of them. Um, Because everyone's opinion and point of view and background is different. Um, You know, I think uh, I would love to hear about more Kickstarters, more indie games. You know, I spend a lot of time just like looking for new stuff and new new developers. And it's hard. It's really hard because you're just like combing through Twitter tags. Like it's, it's impossible. (laughs) So I would love to um, give that information out to people who, would be interested too yeah everyone's kind of i suppose limited on time and it feels like learning a new system or learning about a new thing can be a real investment of your energy and uh because people tend to uh use video forms and it's many different social media platforms in order to relax and like to unwind and stuff like that i think tabletop news kind of fits into that niche then where people can just enjoy an entertaining way to be more educated about tabletop if they're interested in learning more about it. Um, as for uh, all of you who are working uh, sort of tirelessly uh, on this uh, program, um, who who's on your team? Um, do you want to oh, name boy. them real quick? Yeah, sure. So there's five. So from the beginning, <laughs> there's me, of course. Um, the executive producer is Adam Rady, Um and he actually has a background in uh, producing from way back. He he worked on uh, Dreamer G4 TV's Invitation to Party, the D&D show 
uh, starring B. Dave Walters. He produced that show. He executive produced on that. Um, so he created that whole thing, um, the format, uh, all those cool camera angles you see, uh, all that stuff. Um, and he does a lot of production for um, commercials. For He's done commercials for Paizo, for Beetle and Grimm's, um, a lot of different gaming companies that have sort of this high-level um, you know, production value. So he, him and his partner, uh, James Rodehaver, his business partner, those two have a company called Two Kings Entertainment. And that's the production house that we're working under. Uh, when I say production house, I mean it's a building in Van Nuys. Uh, and, <laughs> and it's got room for two sets. And that is where we work out of. Um, so that's sort of, uh, that's, you know, that's Two Kings Entertainment. And then the other producers we're working in are uh, Katie Wilson. Um, her background is um, in hosting and uh, board gaming. She's run board gaming shows for, I think it was Sci-Fi. Um, she's hosted for Sci-Fi a lot. She's worked with like Nintendo, WB. She's also an actress um, and uh, she has been on shows maybe you've seen, uh, like Superstore. Um, and then um, our last but not least producer is uh, Nathan Andrasek. And he is a really avid board gamer. He knows about board games I've never even heard about or thought could be a board game um and he is an actor and producer um and he helps out with uh two kings productions a lot too so the te- by the power of five uh we've been working very hard and we recently did um uh have two more people come on our team to help us with uh, marketing and social so uh that's uh, shelbyville now and skylar seymour y'all are great um and yeah we're just working hard to get this done but between all of us we have so much experience um not not just in you know of course gaming that's important but in production in marketing in social reach um uh, some of us are former influencers some of us are former um you know actors uh former set designers i used to work in art department like so we kind of know every aspect of how to make a show um and our experience is what's going to make the show look really good that we have like a you know beautiful slick production uh that you know this industry doesn't generally have um and because we're all in los angeles we have access to things like people who make cool things um you know locally and i know that we're very lucky to have that but um yeah that's our team <laughs> and of course we all have dogs i don't know if that's important but we have there's a whole dog <laughs> team also <laughs> so you have a dog feature every episode or no but we're talking about uh yeah. this is breaking news we haven't announced this yet probably next week we're going to release some one shots and one of my ideas that i pitched but i don't know if it got accepted yet is we're going to do a one-page one-shot as an add-on um, that's just our dogs, like, in a home- oh. homeward-bound situation trying to get back to somewhere. <laughs> so okay. I don't know. <laughs> wow. It, it, who's going to script that? Is that going to be you? We have a game writer. On our, okay. uh, James Rodehaver writes um, a lot for um, uh, Paizo and... Uh, and uh, what's it called? Uh, the place where you download one-shot RPGs. I can't remember it. James does a lot of writing for... Um, you know doing that kind of stuff so he's he's our writer he's our, our brains between the words <laughs> gotcha cool um yeah that sounds uh it, it does sound super exciting i have liked what i've seen out of it so uh if you have some time if you have a little bit of money please do go check out the kickstarter and support the kickstarter if you can um and yep. let's talk a little bit about you michelle uh right. when did you when did you get started hosting uh you seem like you've got a lot of experience based on me watching you yeah, in terms of just hosting, um, I started, oh, maybe in 2015, 2016, guessing on some things at, like, AfterBuzz TV, which is, like, a YouTube um, channel uh, owned by Marina Menounos, actually. Uh, it's a place where you can kind of go and get trained to host. It's a, uh, Everyone there is volunteer, um, but you get paired with engineers who help um, run your show. You learn how to write rundowns. They do sort of, like, a mentorship program there. I really just kind of showed up. And was like, I have an idea for a show, can I do it? They're like, yeah, no money. I'm like, okay. So I started doing, my first hosting gig was doing um, Otaku, uh, Otaku uh, Movie Anatomy. All other shows were called Something Something Movie Anatomy, so I had to like pick a word. 
Um, and I talked about anime movies uh, with my friends and for almost like over a year. But from there, I've done hosting um, and emceeing for live stage shows, conventions. Um, I used to host a show called Button Mesh um, over on Ranker. Uh, I actually did that during the pandemic. I did that from my home. Um, I've hosted at Anime Expo, um, Comic- San Diego Comic Con. Um, I've hosted fashion shows. Uh, and I used to host on a show called uh, Cure to Board Them, like board games, um, on Hyper RPG. Did that for about a year. Um, and then I did do, I had a short-lived Twitch career where I did actually become a Twitch partner. And I did a lot of my own uh, streaming from home as well. And I still have all my equipment for that, so that's serving me well. <laughs> um, yeah, but I still do I still do hosting, you know, here and there. My on-camera stuff has sort of shifted to doing a lot of tabletop RPG stuff. Um, which, I, which I love. I love acting. Um, to me, that's a different set of skills. But uh, yeah, hosting is one thing I'll never forget how to do, and I'm still doing it today. <laughs> do you um, do you miss anything about hosting regularly, or? Um, I mean, the the hope is that you know the show gets gets funded. Yeah, yeah. I'm hosting every every other week or so. Um, and to be fair, not hosting every week. Every week we'll have different pairs of hosts um, to sort of like you know show more of the community. But I will be producing on it. Um, in terms of hosting, like I still. Yeah, I mean, I still I still do it quite quite a bit here and there. It's just sort of it's one of those things that hosting is a job where someone else has to hire you. You know, you have to uh, slip into whatever uh, someone's narrative is for you know the show they're doing, um, or uh, you know if it's a panel that kind of thing. Um, I'm hosting a panel at WonderCon actually uh, tomorrow. Gotta get that Ooh. ready. Um, and sometimes hosting can mean you are writing everything, you're making the interview questions, you're asking the panelists about their background first so that you can make sure you throw to them at the correct time. Sometimes hosting is that. Sometimes hosting is reading a teleprompter, just showing up and being like, I'm going to read this now, but I'm going to sound like I'm not reading, <laughs> which yeah. is a whole skill. If you've never tried using a teleprompter before, it's hard. It's not that easy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I like doing it, but I do a lot of jobs. So I, I don't, I never say I miss it because I'm always kind of coming back to it every couple of you know every other month or so something happens yeah i find that um i was kind of surprised that um so i did interviewing for a while because i used to work uh in recruiting um Mm -hmm. and that's where i sort of built like my interview skill set um over time uh doing that and then um after i started this uh podcast it was mostly because i found that i really enjoyed like talking to people when i was running these workshops for the ad copy and stuff like that and then i was like hmm i should just start this and then try this because i enjoyed like one-on-one conversations like this um so yeah hosting always like kind of fascinates me and i'm like always kind of wondering like that would be cool but like i don't live near la so i don't think that i will maybe like at some point in my career maybe i will get hired for an amazon thing which is local to me in seattle but um yeah, we'll see. I I think it's um I think it's probably like my favorite thing to do now. Um, even more so than pro GMing. Like I enjoy it much more, and I um I do love like uh, writing and game design and things like that. But um, there's something about like connecting with people like one on one like this that is really just I don't know. It just like fills my cup up on like other things. Yeah. Um, which can seem kind of draining. Um. And especially, like, group situations socially, like, less so exciting for me. But, like, one-on-one conversations where I really, like, get to connect with someone is really, I don't know, it it feels really good to me. So um, maybe at some point I'll land my dream host job. But you, I mean, what you are doing now is considering hosting. You're just not on camera. It's a different kind of hosting. It's just voices. Um, Yeah. 
there are so many different kinds of hosting, truly, if uh, we want to talk about this job for a second. So there's the kind of job of hosting where you just interview someone like this um, off camera or on camera. Uh, and that's, you know, that's one set of skills. There's a kind of hosting where you are there to wrangle people on a certain time schedule on a live show. Um, having been a host and also worked on the back end of broadcast production to be the person, um, I've also been the person that's on like someone's headset, like a host headset. I mean, like, okay, you've got five minutes, wrap it up, wrap it up. <laughs> sit, no, no, sit down, you're off camera, get back in there. Like, so you're yelling at the host. Yeah. And if you're that host, you have to listen, um, do the thing they're telling you, but also still be smiling and engaging with the person you're looking at. So that skill is very difficult to do um, while yeah. having, you know, uh, there's maybe a teleprompter there. Maybe you just have cue cards. So sort of uh, time management is a host skill that is very important. Um, I used to teach for a couple of years. I used to live in Japan uh, after I finished college for about three years. During that time when I taught, my God, time management, like being like, I got a tight 50 to get these kids to learn these four words. <laughs> Yeah, and wow. then I gotta wrap it up, and they gotta go. Um, but that that really helped me. You know, I can I can mentally figure out how long it's. I'm like, okay, I've been talking for three minutes. Okay, let's go. Bye. I can wrap this up in half a minute. So, having that knowledge of like how long does it say the words um, yeah. is something that comes with experience. So there's that kind of hosting. There's hosting where you are just talking about yourself. There's hosting where you're just reading a tele- teleprompter, like I said. So there's a lot of different kinds of hosting. But when it comes down to it, you become a personality. That needs to be trusted um, and noteworthy in your own way. So you have to do other things besides hosting to be a good host, right? Yeah. Um, you've got to be writing a book or doing some other show. So it's it's very nuanced um, to get yeah. noticed enough to uh, even be invited to audition or something. Yeah, that sounds oh. that sounds fucking awesome. I um I uh yeah. So I did, and I was thinking about like what you were saying about like just paying attention to uh, your direction through your earpiece and stuff like that. So, I mean, like, it's not directly applicable, but I do actually have experience like that, um, <laughs> which, uh, so I was a, uh, so I was a, machi- I was a squad leader uh, in the Marine Corps Infantry for a while, and then I was a platoon sergeant, so, like, uh, radio communication while making sure that I'm meeting, like, deadlines as far as, like, uh, phases and during missions and stuff like that. Um, so that's something that I did for a while. But, yeah, that sounds really fun, actually. Um, perhaps, like, uh, something that I would need to... Uh, I wouldn't be able to yeah. do it like uh, like a like I wouldn't be able to like get into a situation where I was like half-assing it. It would just be like, okay, well, now I need to professionally prepare for this hosting gig, and then I need to take the time to do it and then make sure that I do it well because it doesn't seem like something you can just like walk on a set and then do well. Um, you definitely Wait, seems everything. Like you need everything a lot takes practice, and, and yeah. you doing this is one thing. Um, you doing it like on camera is a different thing. You doing it with one guest, two guests, four guests is you know its own thing. So um, the more you do it, the more you learn. Uh, you know, I I think there's like, you know, there's this thing about making space for someone to tell their story. Um, there's lots of skills you can kind of infer. Like, you, you know, when you watch like a Barbara Walters interview, <laughs> bless her, yeah. like that, that ability to make someone vulnerable enough to talk about the things that, you know, they want to talk about or that they feel need to be heard um, is a skill as well. Or, or knowing that this person that you're interviewing is already nervous and you've got to hit these like four keynotes that you talked about before you got on, on stage or on camera. Um and how to how to make them how to get that how to pull the information out of them is is a skill yeah but I yeah. feel like you're already doing it you're already building that skill set you're fine everything's great <laughs> yeah thank you so much um yeah I mean that it means a lot coming from you um so I appreciate that um but yeah I I guess I'll just keep working on it but it's been something that's been like growing in my interest it's definitely uh, something that um just for our listeners if you'd like to support the Patreon you can you can find my Patreon and you can help me pay my editor uh, who makes this. Uh, podcast sound a little bit better thank um, you editor yeah thank you editor <laughs> um 
But uh, yeah, so I think that um, it's the least that I make of all the things that I do. Like it's the least amount of revenue, but it's, yeah, it's definitely mm-hmm. the thing that I love the most. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always like get reminded of that because I always like to, I'm very interested in like learning and I love to do that through people and their experiences and like chatting with them. So um, hosting and like interviewing is just so fun for me. So I love it. Um, okay. Let's talk about, so you talked <laughs> briefly about like all some of the other stuff that you've done. I want to talk about you being like a line producer and, a, and then a creative producer. Let's start with line producer. What is that? How would you describe that? And then like, what's the responsibilities and then what's your experience with it? Yeah. So the word producer means a lot of different things in different industries and it's very complicated and it's a little bit gatekept, like, because the regular person is like, what the fuck, what the hell does a producer do? It's like everything. Um, so line producing is when, um, okay, so a line is when you are um, on set and there's um, the, uh, the the director, there is the, oh, okay, I'll describe a line for, um, for, for Twitch. How about this? For, uh, it's, you, how I was running a lot of these shows was just from a room. I wasn't seeing anybody. I was just on headsets. So there's the director, there's the um, person, there's the, the crew holding the cameras downstairs. Uh, there's the, um, we call them CG, but they basically ran all the graphics, all the overlays that were coming on screen at the same time. Um, like someone's, you know, a new person walks on stage, you see their lower third come out, or there's some sort of information about them. That's the CG person. We have replay. Replay is um, the person who runs the trailers, who counts it in, um, who knows how long it is, um, who's checked the audio, the quality of it to make sure it runs on whatever platform you're streaming on. There can be multiple producers on a show, so some producers can be in charge of talking to some other two two hosts. Another producer could be in charge of um, talking to just the camera. So um, all of that happens on headsets with like 20,000 buttons in front of you that talks to each person. So you can talk to everybody, just the um, director, we call them the TD, the technical director and the director um, to just talk to. Uh... Oh, and then if you have guests that are virtually coming in, you know, her whole, a whole crew running, you know, like vMix. Um, and then, of course, the audio person. Sorry, I forgot about the audio. A1 is very important. So the line producer is talking to all of them and cueing them for when things are going to happen or when they are happening. Um, let's say, like, you know, person A walks on stage. Before that happens, and I'm looking at I'm looking at a production schedule. I'm looking at a run of show. as a schedule for what happens when. And I'm like, okay, this is happening in uh, five minutes. QCG for, you know, person A's lower third. Um, and then I'll I'll talk to the director and say, okay, they are queued to come out. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk I'm gonna count them in. Uh, you know, stand by. And so I'll talk to each person to make sure they can stand by and know what's coming. And then I count them. Okay, coming on in three, two. Host, bring them in. And then I'll switch buttons to talk to the host. They know to bring them on. So that is kind of what line production is. It's talking to your line, running the line, letting them know what's happening when, um, and then adhering to the schedule. And if there's any problems, um, you know, someone can talk to you too and be like, uh, Michelle, where the hell? Is, like, we can't find art department. We don't. We're missing this like box, you know. Then I'm, it's it's me being like, you know, I call a PA or I call. I try to find someone else to fix that problem, or I just tell the host, no magic box, just skip that section, just talk, just talk, figure it out. You got two minutes to just talk about nothing. And they're like, okay. And then that's the host job to just vamp, vamp, vamp. Um, so that's line production. It's a lot. And it's different on every set. Um, yeah. That is, uh, there's there's line producers that do, you know, like uh, if you watch like sports, the sports, you know, they're calling, yeah. um, they're they're calling cameras as well as the director. Uh, usually the director calls the cameras because um, they can see all of them at the same time to so know what shot to switch between. Um, but producers usually on a sports broadcast will be more involved in that. Um, queuing, queuing anyone who comes on camera is, is a nightmare, but it's a thing. Uh, so that's what line production is. Creative production or CP um, that position is about writing the run of show and deciding what goes where and how the flow of the show will go. So you're literally writing down 
before talking, you know, you talk to everybody uh, about creative, about, um, sorry, creative means what's inside the show itself. So who's talking? What are they, what are they talking about? Um, who are the guests going to be? Uh, what's the, what does this look like? What is the, what is your image of what the show's about? Um, so you kind of have all in your brain and then you write the runner show and writing the runner show is like, okay, it's a two hour show. Let's start at minute one. What happens in minute one? Okay. You should have uh, some sort of graphic, right? Like with the intro of the show, who's writing that? Oh God, I got to talk to someone about that. You know, what's the music for that? We got to buy music. So you talk to somebody, you, you, you just uh, delegate that job. Um, as you write the run of show, you realize things you need. Um, you go over it usually with, um, you know, an executive producer. An executive producer is somebody who is much higher up than you and says yes or no to things and ruins your life by saying, we need seven Doritos ads. We actually never work with Doritos. I just keep bringing it up as an example. <laughs> I have done a lot of Chipotle ads, though. Doritos <laughs> a menace in the industry. Yeah, Chipotle, America. I, I don't know. I shouldn't talk about this, but yeah, Chipotle sort of has, a, owns a lot of uh, uh, Twitch ads, if you haven't noticed. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so that, and then I, in creatively, you kind of go and say, like, where is it better to put the news here and then put the clip of this trailer down here? Um, what time does this guest, this guest can only call in at three o'clock, um, you know, in, in UK time. So what time can I put them in the show? Um, all that stuff is something that you are basically coordinating, emailing everybody, asking questions, figuring out what, who can do what, when, and how. <laughs> and that's what that is. Easy, right? Yeah, easy. <laughs> um, all of that sounds like, fucking sweet uh that sounds all really exciting um honestly it seems like it's it seems like one of those jobs especially for like line producer or being involved in like the flow of it it sounds really exciting because like you're working with so many different people that you get to know over time and then you understand their workflow and then it can be like kind of like when you're when you when you get everything down and then you're just like kind of like jamming you know what i mean yeah, a lot about being producer on set is um, being kind to people, making sure everyone knows each other's names. It, you you set the tone for the for the set um, sometimes, and the director can too. But you know, I think the producer's job is to make sure problems get solved. So if you know someone is like always a little bit late, maybe you tell them their call time is a little bit earlier because you know they're going to be late, like that kind of stuff. <laughs> you sort of yeah. just, you just manage the problems. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I mean, when I worked at uh, Esports Engine slash. Twitch, uh, so Twitch was the client of Esports Engine. Uh, was one of their main clients, and I was always working with Twitch. I was both the line producer and the uh, the creative producer um, on those shows, and that was uh, you know it was it's it's a lot. It's very difficult work. It's very high stress. Um, it keeps you up at night, and I certainly would wake up in the middle of the night and be like, oh my god, I didn't email this person, Jesus Christ, <laughs> and like run to my computer. Um, so when I talk about production for a show like Tabletop News, it's different, but it's, you know, it's an equal amount of work in different ways, um, and there's all of us doing this uh, for free <laughs> because we think it's a project people will like. Um, but yeah, and I think when people look at the number for Tabletop News, we're looking at $150,000 for our first season. That number doesn't make sense to most people because they don't know what production is like. But imagine everything you see on screen, who built it, who made it, who approved it, um, who thought about the design, you know, so whether that's something physical, whether that's a human being you're looking at, like a host, okay, well, who booked them, who figured out their schedule, um, who gave them the lines, who told them what to wear today, like who did their makeup, like all that stuff, that all costs money. That's somebody, that's somebody doing that job. And in the tabletop space, we've really been trained to be like, oh, shoestring budget, doing it for the love of the game. And that's fine too, but that's not what we're making. We're doing this properly. We're not doing it all. Um, I can't work for free indefinitely um, more than past this Kickstarter, unfortunately. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I we were all we we're all trying to make jobs for people. Like once we get funded, we will be hiring tons of people. Um, so yeah, uh, I did sort of segue back into my table, my Kickstarter. But you know, I, I, it's one it's on my mind. I'm thinking about yeah. it 24 hours a day. 
No, I don't blame you. It's uh, yeah, you're definitely y'all are. It, it looks like y'all are really working hard to uh, make this happen. Um, and you know, it, it it looks like a great opportunity for the entire community. Um, so I think it deserves a lot of attention personally. Um, okay. Um, let's talk about you in fashion. You worked in fashion too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, I have a a long and varied history with me living in Los Angeles. I moved to LA in two thousand and eight. Um from Japan. Uh, I moved here for a job um, as a editor for a magazine called the Gothic and Lita Bible. This yeah. magazine is a, it's, it's called Gothic Lita Fashion. It's Japanese street fashion. It was much more popular like back in the you know early aughts. Um, and this magazine existed in Japan. So we were basically um, licensing it and releasing it in America with new content added. Um, and that was through a publisher called Tokyo Pop. <clears throat> I moved back to America for this job. It was actually a, a project I pitched when I interned for them back in 2003. Please don't do the math on how old I am. But because um, <laughs> I, I used to intern for them for, you know, not working for free. And I was like, oh, I've got this idea, buddy. I graduated from college. And then eventually that project like came to fruition. And so they asked me back. And they're like, we're not going to pay for any of your moving expenses. But uh, anyway, uh, flash forward. That's, that's 2008. And in 2008, we all know the publishing industry crashed. So <laughs> I lost my job in like after six months. Um, didn't even get unemployment. That's how short I was working there. Um, but I still I still liked fashion. I, I always had an interest in it. Um, and I between that and my other my other fashion job, I did work a bunch of other weird little PR jobs, marketing. I worked customer service at Konami Games for a hot minute. That was real bad. That was a job Ooh. that I used to sit in the parking lot and cry Ooh. before I would go Ooh. into work every day. Uh, it was the bad place. But then, Ooh. because I never gave up on like making little accessories and stuff like that, um, I ended up uh, selling a design for a Hello Kitty bow. <laughs> um, it's a headbands with a bow, oh. a vinyl bow on it that you wear that looks like Hello Kitty's bow. Uh -huh. I came up with this idea um, just sort of like for a project for me. And then my friend, uh, she's like, oh, I'm actually working with Sanrio for this cafe, this anniversary event they're doing. They're making like a cafe. And I was like, oh, it'd be really cool if like maybe the cafe workers could wear this bow. So I gave her one to take into her next meeting. Um, this person is named Jamie. Uh, she owns a store called Japan LA. And so Jamie took it down to a meeting and then she left it in one of the conference rooms or something. Um, and the president, the, the president of the U.S. Sanrio division came in and like saw it and was like, oh my God, what is this? We need this for everybody. We need to sell this. So they um, got in touch with me and they wanted like a couple of hundred of them. You know, I was thinking I was going to make 10. So they wanted a couple hundred to sell. And then every, when the event started, they were like, oh my God, these are selling out. We need more. We need more. So every week, every day I was making more. And then eventually they licensed the product um, and they sold, they, you know, they put in an order for like, I think it was like 4,000. And I was like, okay, I did oh the math. I was like, I'm going to quit my day job because this yeah. is terrible. I hate crying going to work. Um, I did get in two weeks. I was like, here's two weeks, but I really yeah. am going to phone in these last two weeks. Um, yeah. And then I, I started doing that. So I did that for a long time. Working with Hello Kitty was really fun because I got to help them with their fashion shows. Um, if they had commercial shoots, they'd bring me on uh, to be like a personality or to um, provide, you know, accessories. I was always being asked, like, I mean, the celebrities who own my bows now because of their PR, like Ariana Grande has one. Um, I think uh, uh, one of the members of uh, of Blackpink has one. Like, she just got it like last week. And I'm like, how? Because I, I stopped doing this like maybe yeah. two, two years ago. So they just have some back stock somewhere. And so I kind of did that. And it was really fun. It was really fun. Um, I got to meet a lot of people. I started my, my brand. It was called Chubby Bunny. Um, and I did uh, my own little fashion shows, like very, very like small stuff with like collaborators. And then at some point, I was actually hired to be the brand manager for a clothing company called Iron Fist. Um, I believe they still exist. Um, I think they bought out, I want to say, not Killstar. They bought out some other like alt brand very recently. But um, I worked with them for almost, almost a full year. 
um, managing all of their uh, trade shows uh, for like you know when there's like magic in Las Vegas um, it's a trade show where you you sell your designs to retailers uh, so I used to be in charge of you know making their booths hiring labor um, doing design for it uh, and of course regular marketing like organizing photo shoots um, doing PR for them uh, it was a, it was a job where I did every job in marketing which is too many jobs but like doing social media um, and, uh, yeah, so that's sort of, that's not like the last time I worked in fashion, but that was like the main time. Then after that job, uh, I really pivoted more to doing on camera and hosting. I just got more passionate about it. And then of course gaming. So, but that yeah. was like a really, really, really long time ago. <laughs> that was like yeah. a 2013 Michelle. I don't know. <laughs> no, that's so fucking, you're so fucking cool. I did not expect any of that. I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> I'm just old. When you're old, you just do, you just do a lot of stuff. <laughs> Yeah, okay. So I'm, tr- I'm I turned 40 last oh. I'm turning 41 this year. Oh, okay. So I've been kind of doing this for a while, like, you know. Right. I think people may say it's impressive, and I'm like, "Yeah, but if you have like 3 years doing one thing and then you stop doing it, you can do something new. It's okay. You can just switch switch uh careers. It's not a big deal." Yeah, I well, I just yeah, I just switched my career too. I so I spent a long time in the military, but um so I'm I'm 35. I'm turning 36 this year, so um yeah, I'm right up there with you. So same, yeah. like same sort of age range. Uh, but yeah, you you still look 25. So I mean, it's like it's Thanks. just gotta... I have a good skincare routine. I use like three to four different things on my face every morning. <laughs> oh, um, I use um, I use this stuff, um, serum. Oh, the serum, know. yeah. So you yeah, can do yeah, toner, yeah. then serum, then moisturizer. Yeah, yeah. I use, and then you um, eye cream before the face moisturizer. Yeah. I haven't really started. I should start using uh, eye cream, but I use. Uh, I think this is Cerave for my lotion. Yeah, yeah. I use that as the. Um, I use the Cerave face wash. Okay. Yeah. We just use. Okay, we use this. All right. Let's so just maybe I'll look. Like, yeah. yeah, maybe I'll. <laughs> and I'm not even that good at it. I'm not. I have friends who they're like I have an eight step routine. And I'm like, okay, well, mine's really like four. Or five right, or right, right. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. I'm just like learning. I'm just starting to like learn about all of that stuff because uh, I did not do any skincare basically while I was uh, still thinking that I was a man. And then I was like, okay, maybe I should care about my body. <laughs> Me, woman. Yeah. We should always um, care about your body regardless <laughs> of gender. But um, I think there's like different stuff happening in like skincare world now. It's like way more complicated than it was when I was like younger. Like oh. when you're younger, it's just like, just slap something on, hope there's SPF in it. Done, done, done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's evolved over time. Yeah, it's a different beast. Um, speaking of uh, different beasts, let's talk about uh, actual plays and uh, yeah. your experience. Uh, I really want to talk about New York by Night, so can we talk about that first? And like, let me... I always want to talk about New York by Night. It's, okay. that's a that little that little brain goblin in me, yeah. man. Like I, <sighs> okay. So before I got, went to, uh, sorry, was there a question or should I just start talking about it? No, you can <laughs> just start talking, okay. and then I'll put in the question eventually. So I had, um, I'm sort of like new it, not new as in like this year but new newer to the vampire than the masquerade than most people on that show i was in a uh kind of like a, a for fun stream show um for a vampire uh called uh denver by night mm-hmm. so that was just like the pandemic had just started we were all like i'm going insane and my friend may was like let's hey you want to i'm gonna jam a vampire masquerade show um do you want to be in it it's just like a fun thing so we're like yeah so you know we committed for it's like only like eight or six episodes i can't remember um like a little mini series just to try it out and it was the first time playing vampire and um that was uh melee damage is her <laughs> what she goes by online she was the uh, the um storyteller and i also played with christina ariel who hosts all that star star wars stuff which is amazing for yeah. her and does tabletop stuff as well and uh um bonnie gordon was on it and uh shane easton was on it and shane is um actually jason carl's uh partner 
Bonnie so, uh, Bonnie Gordon, who w- who performed at the Hunters Entertainment uh, party at Last Gen Con. Yeah, that I threw. Yeah, I threw that. Oh one. yeah, yeah. I was at that party, yeah. but yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we met like yeah. just like very that that night was very a lot. Oh okay, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So anyway, that was my first one, and I think Jason watched it because you know his his partner was on it, and then. Um, and I really liked it. It was so fun. And then, you know, of course, between that time and when I got picked up to be on New York by Night, I had been on tons of APs. Um, that was sort of that that year, you know, 2020 to like, you know, current day was the most I'd ever acted in APs. Um, I had done a little bit before that, but it was much harder. Um, and uh, anyway, uh, so he reached out to me. He was like, would you be interested in doing the show? I've seen you act on lots of things. You're a great actor. And this is storytelling based. So like, if you help with the game mechanics, I will help you. But you seem like you kind of got it, right? And I was like, yes, I do. So, um, you know, we started talking about my character from there um, and emails and stuff. And this is, um, we filmed that first season in March of last year. So, um, you know, we still had pretty high COVID protocol. So we never really met in person before we started shooting. We just sort of talked on like Zoom and stuff. And uh yeah, it was uh, one of the best acting experiences in an AP I've ever had in any show um, because everyone's so committed to the drama. And yeah. I, I'm i used to playing like funny haha characters. So it was a big switch for me. Um, and it felt like real acting more than anything I've done just because I, I was really doing something that was very different for me um, because I'm usually like cute and funny or weird. I'm always like something, something and funny. Um, and this time around, I was... Maybe you would laugh at some of my lines because they're like just so ridiculous, but I was, I'm pretty much like the, I'm like the lost soul of the group. I don't know what's going to happen to me. Um, but yeah, love the game. Um, everyone on that show, I think I knew Xander from before. Um, Cynthia Marie, I had interacted with like here and there Well, we weren't good friends before, but friends now. Um, and Nora, that was the first time ever working with her on my season. Um, in season one, um, I'm friends with Alex uh, Ward and um, Ibria already. Um, but I've actually never hung out with uh, Mayana or uh, Joey Russell. So um, I'm excited to work with them in the next season that we are going to film soon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Mayana seems like really just clever, smart, witty. I noticed that um, while well, I, was, I was looking at she's Mayana. She's a stand-up for... comedian. Yeah, yeah. That's it. So I was looking up and then she's uh, she's also like a writer, a screenplay writer. Um, uh, yeah, she writes for TV, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's she's so like she's so witty and like on the ball with like some of the things that she said um, on the show, and she just knows how to play uh, a a serious yet uh, funny character. A good um, rap nose, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What was it like um, as far as like shooting? I know it can be kind of intense. I know for some of these actual plays that are kind of like condensed shooting schedules, and like maybe you shoot over a weekend. Like I know D twenty does like weekend shooting. Like maybe you'll do mm-hmm. two weekends, but it's like three days of like hard shooting and then you yeah. get a break and then three days of hard shooting. Um, we did this over the course, of, I want to say six or seven days with like, I think one of those days was a break. We had one or two days of break with, with writing breaks for Jason, basically, so we could just write more story. Mm-hmm. Um, but we would do, the first episode we filmed, um, we did a session zero and then we got changed and then we did episode one. And that was the first day of shooting. We just did one episode so that there's a lot of, we had time to like do it and think about it. And I would say episode one was like my weakest episode, like as an actor, because I just, you know, you're just getting, with any AP, you're kind of getting your feet wet, you're understanding what's happening, and you're also discovering your character as everyone else's because you don't, you make plans in your head, but like once you start talking, because it's improv, things can change, you know? Like yeah. I had this whole, I had this whole thing where I was going to be like a religious zealot thing, and then I just dropped, after one episode, I just dropped it. I was like, no, this is not, I, I'm not doing this. I have more, more interesting things to do. Um, And then after that, we were filming either two or one episodes every day, mostly two. So we would get get into the studio at like, you know, like eight or so. It depends like where you were timed at. Um, 
get, get into hair and makeup, which shows a whole, we had professional hair and makeup artists who were awesome. I've never, I've never looked so good. My God, they're so good. Um, shout out <laughs> to the makeup artists. Um, and, uh, you know, we'd get into costume and then we would um, do a, a quick debriefing before we started shooting uh, with Jason. And then we would just, we would just go. And in between episodes, you know, if you would like, there's always like all these like secret meetings because we can't really tell. We generally speaking, we don't tell each other that, uh, the, the actors don't tell each other what we're planning or what are we really mean unless we're like hey as like a safety thing we would do things like hey i'm gonna um i'm gonna do a compulsion on you is that okay because i think anything that we're taking away someone's agency that's very important that we pre-check that because mm-hmm. when you're on camera it's like hard to we yeah. didn't really edit around anything like on right. the show honestly they really just like camera to screen is what you got yeah except for that one time when a light went out but other than that like <laughs> yeah so um yeah and then we would go into shooting and um of course we had you know our session zero we were very thorough about like you know what people were cool with and not cool with um what the level was what the rating was for the show all that stuff mm-hmm. um so i was really glad that you know uh jason and the whole team took that very seriously and the producers on the team so uh yeah it was uh it was a great experience I, yeah i was very well taken care of <laughs> I, you know, I, uh, a few comments about that. Um, so you're right. Absolutely right. The makeup on these World of Darkness productions and the, the hair and everything is in the fashion. It's just like, oh my God, like these people are so attractive. And the clothes uh, are our own. Yeah. We don't, there's no wardrobe stylist. We just buy our own clothes for that, by the way. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. okay. I would love a wardrobe budget. But you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess everyone's just really fashionable, but then mm-hmm. also, uh, you know, you, you have that uh, attention from the, uh, the stylist. Um, and then I want to talk about uh, briefly, like how fun it is, or at least just a comment. There's something very unique about sort of the improv space and actual play in which, um, like you said, you can have that sort of storyline prepared that you think is going to be really good. And then someone else starts doing something else and you're like, that train looks more fun. I'm going to jump over here Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. and do something entirely different. And I am, and I always have kind of wondered about, uh, the safety tools as far as like World of Darkness and how they run their productions because obviously it is a recording production you're on limited time um, you can't necessarily like take up the the whole day or like interrupt the flow of gameplay too much um, on a production like that unless it's like necessary of course um, so that is that is good to hear and I, I'm I'm very uh, I had assumed that um, a storyteller like Jason Carl uh, was very careful and safe for people and mm-hmm. um, it's good that I believe he's promoting like that sort of culture at the table, right? Yeah, I mean, I think he tweeted about this a little while ago, but he's just like, you can't play vampire without doing session zero. You have to go through safety tools. If you don't do that, you shouldn't play this game. Like, you're not, you're not. He didn't say that, but it just, but to me, it makes sense. You can't play a game like this where there's so much PvP and not go over where your boundaries are. And I think the problem, like, I mean, the problem with not the problem, but a problem is, uh, people can say I'm cool with everything. But they don't really know until it's happening. Because how can yeah. you, how can you predict your feelings, right? When you're right. like, well, I was really invested in that. You just took it away from me. Like, what the, you know, and then you get mad. So, of course, like, on the show, there was always the option to be, like, just, you know, yeah. and we would just cut and, like, reset. But, like, no one no one did that on our season. But, um, because we were, you know, pretty well. We, we really pre-talked about a lot of things with, with eternally with each other. Um, yeah, if you if you are not mature enough to do a session zero and to go over uh, lines and veils, you're not mature enough to play a game like that. I'm sorry. That's just, it, it's, uh, it's very, it's a mature game. You know, you're out there, like, murdering people. And um, the whole point of the game is to figure out if the monster is going to take you over. So it's like, I don't know, you can... You can do the game casually, I guess, like in a funny way, but like you have to make sure everyone else is okay and be on the same level as you. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's definitely an adult game, unlike many different tabletop games, but I think it is probably one of the best games for sort of discovering more about yourself um, than any other 
any other game. And I think um, B. Davis talked about this um, with some frequency. Like, there's a lot of character bleed in Vampire as opposed to other games. Because normally when you create a character, and in this version of Vampire, like, you're creating neonates mostly, right? So it's people that within your lifetime exist in, like, America or wherever you're playing the game. So there's not much separation between what is possibly could have been you and another fantasy character that like exists in a different realm with like magic and stuff. So there's um, there's less in between you and like feeling like it could have been you. I think uh, that can be true. And I think um, because you're pulling from real life experiences, like what you know in your brain um, in, in improv, you will always be pulling from your personal experiences because you have to know how to react to a sad thing or a happy thing. Like that's just, that's what's going to happen. Um, but as an actor, I think like it's hard. It's it's very hard. There's definitely bleed and, and def- definitely in drama things. And I've experienced this in professional things and off camera things as well. I personally, like I only get mad when someone decides to say, no, you can't do anything. No, I, I if I say I'm going to do something, they say, no, you can't because before this happened, I did this. And I'm like, that's not, you're just trying to win the game. I don't like playing with people who are trying to win the game. That makes me really mad. Um, but in general, like me, and it's my personality, um, I'm the kind of person that I play a board game and I actually don't care if I win. I just want to have a good time <laughs> with my friends. Yeah. Um, I don't really experience a ton of bleed um, I because I mentally separate myself from that because it's it's a game. It's just game. I don't know. It's just game and it's just acting. And I'm here to act like someone who's not me because I don't want to be me <laughs> on a show like Vampire the Masquerade. I want to be someone like kind of cooler than me. Um, so me personally, I think that I'm I've been like, I, you know, I play a game. I'm if you saw the season, like I'm crying and swearing and like I feel betrayed. As soon as we cut, I'm just like, oh, my God, that was so good. Like, I don't have. I, I, and, I, and I will, I'm sure, in the future. And, and, and it can't work. I feel I felt that feeling here and there. But in general, because I'm a professional, I'm able to separate those feelings. I know not everyone can do that because everyone's brains are wired differently. And I think for that reason, like, there, you know, there needs to be um, aftercare. There needs to be um, a discussion like, hey, was that okay? Like, checking in with each other is so important. And if you just ask questions and do that, I think it helps reduce the amount of... Um, negative bleed there can be positive bleed is like hey i didn't really wear clothes like this but i feel kind of cool so i'm gonna start dressing like this normally cool like i just wore um one of the outfits i wore for vampire um for sorry for new york by night uh i wore to the critical role anniversary party because it was like in my closet and i was like oh that's fancy i thought we're fancy today and i just put it on i was like yeah that's me this is like my personality now great i just wear white clothes <laughs> so but yeah uh, i understand what you're saying about bleed it is it happens to most people who play and are actors who aren't professionally trained actors and um you have to be careful about that but if you i don't know i feel like the more you do it the more you're just like okay brain boop now you're you again yeah. That's how I am anyway. <laughs> yeah, I think it. Uh, I think for me it kind of depends, and um, I think it's easier to do that the more experience you have. But I've been triggered by like stuff that I had never expected before. Like I triggered myself once during a narration. Like my kids were away on vacation uh, with their mother, and I hadn't seen them for a couple weeks. So when I ran a plot line out, like of an NPC who was a kid talking about like wanting to lay his father's spirit to rest or whatever, I just started to like weep profusely, like in the middle of like this dialogue. And I was like, and I exit, and I like took a break, and I was like, why is why am I feeling this way? Oh, my my children are coming back after being away for a while, and I've missed them. Um, so yeah, I, yeah, that's that's. I think that's like you know when people say like t- tabletop RPGs are not therapy. That's true, but they can be a way to access sort of things that you weren't really thinking about or that you're very subconscious. I've had that something like that happen. I don't consider that bleed. I consider that like I don't know unlocking trauma. I don't know. I'd explain yeah. it because I don't feel like because when it's unexpected like that, you're just like oh, I do have an issue with this. Good mm-hmm. to know because like because you don't understand you don't think you're gonna have a reaction, but then you do. Usually it's physical or something, and you're like oh, yeah. oh Jesus. 
Um, yeah. But I, I think uh, it's important to explore, you know, environment, a safe space, um, those kinds of things. You know, a lot of people use this is sort of off topic, but a lot of people use tabletop um, in after school programs, um, in therapy, in uh, sort of like community settings. Um, I know there's a story of my friend, my friend's friend. Um, runs a after school program for um, disadvantaged uh, kids like high school kids who don't mm-hmm. know how to communicate their feelings because they've come from like really like difficult backgrounds um, and they're not used to expressing anything so they don't you know put them in a room together they can't talk about anything or they just they just feel uncomfortable when they want to leave so they started introducing D&D to these these kids um, and giving them journals as something you know okay you are this character what does this, how does this character feel about the thing that happens today after our game and um, they would ask in the journal, and these kids who never talked to this teacher just got so into this and would just fill out their journals. You know, some of these kids are taking like three buses to go to school. Like they're just, you know, they and they just they don't have a lot of opportunity to talk. So this was their way of like communicating, and then they were discovering that it was helping them communicate more of their own emotions, even though it was their character. So yes, games, anything you do in your life should affect you <laughs> in some way, hopefully positive. But I guess when I was talking about before the bleed thing for me, it, it's different if it's acting. You know, if like someone's paying for me to be on a show, like that's completely different than, uh, you know, doing something for fun where you're allowed to access your yourself more because you're trying to have a good time. And if you have a good time, you've got to do things that you want to do, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, I get it. That makes sense. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Was that too much? Woo. No, no, that's fine. Uh, no, I have uh, I have talked with and uh, uh, ch- I chatted with a few different uh, therapeutic GMs who there's mm. like a certification you can get uh, that some people are offering. I'm not sure how that uh, operates, but um, I, I know that it does exist. And um, there's n- now professional GMs who go to schools and they have this like program for uh for neurodivergent kids especially i believe um or disadvantaged kids in one way or another um and it does uh, i think it is helpful for uh them or it can be uh for that reason like socially i wanted to uh, briefly chat about um you going on uh critical role and what's your relationship with elder scrolls were you a big elder scrolls nerd prior to this or what <laughs> Nah, listen, nah. <laughs> um, I had the same amount of experience with Elder Scrolls as everyone else in the cast did when I showed up and they were like, what's this planet called? It's not Earth. <laughs> um, so I uh, actually was friends with Matt and Marisha in the old days um, where, you know, before pre, pre them having that show, uh, we were just, we were part of this like bigger group of nerds who all cosplay and like went to conventions and we just knew each other from house parties or, you know, we had a lot of, man, back in the day, we had a lot of like theme birthday parties and it took over our lives. It became, it became so crazy that like every time it was someone's birthday, like, okay, what's the theme? I got to go through my costume bin. Like, and that was just, <laughs> I don't know why, but that like took over our lives for at least like two years. This is, this is like the year 2000 and I was like nine, 10, 11 ish. It was really it was like it was like the theme party years, and then at some point we we're like, guys, we're gonna stop doing this because it's it's out of control. <laughs> um, anyway, and so you know, we, or I'd see them for um, you know game night. Um, Matt back then, his roommate uh, lived uh, sort of central, and like um, like him and his friend lived above set of friends, so it was sort of like they're all let's go to their house and hang out. Um, and so yeah, we were just friends, and then uh, we started doing critical, and I was you know very happy for them, of course. Um, and this is before I was really like really into tabletop RPGs when they started doing that. So I was just like, that's cool. I don't know what that is. Like, good good job. That's cool you're doing it. Um, and of course it grew. So, you know, and I still see them. Like, they're still my friends. And and uh, this, we recorded that 2021, I think. So that was that was just when they started doing, they were going back to in-studio um, recording at Critical Role. Um, they had a lot of, of COVID precautions and I was really grateful for that. Um, but yeah, they just, I think I'd have been talking to Marisha maybe about like, 
you know, guesting or like, oh, if you guys ever have a charity stream, I was very like, I know you guys got a core group, you're cool, but like, if you ever need like a body for da da da, and you know, we all look at each other's work. So um, they invited me on, and I was really excited. And um, they were like, do you know what Elder Scrolls is? It's like I can go, I I know of it. Like it's such a prevalent <laughs> game in the geek space. Um, but like, I think only like two of them had played it or something. It was really funny. Like Matt knew what it was. Matt would like knew what was going on. That was obviously that that miniseries was a sponsored miniseries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, from the game, so they were kind of commissioned to make it. I don't think that's a mm-hmm. secret at all. Um, and uh, so they, but you know, Matt made a system for it. it was, we weren't playing D anD D. He had like created like a basic system for the, like a whole new system to play this game. And it still it still was, ro- it was rolling like D twenties and stuff, but it wasn't. The stats were different. We had a, our character sheets were like short form. I'm never allowed to show it to anybody. <laughs> um, but you know, it was it was a more it was a more uh, conditioned down or version of a role playing game. Um, yeah, and then we made our characters sort of. We were told here are the here are the races in Elder Scroll. <laughs> here are things that look like that. But like whatever you want, just have fun. And then uh, yeah, we showed up. and We're like, okay, how do we know each other? Oh, you guys over own a tavern together. We're like, oh, okay, wait, what are, what are we all doing in the tavern? And then we just started, you know, spitballing. And then we started recording. Um, but yeah, it was fun. Uh, we went in. You know, was it three episodes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was three. <laughs> in my brain, it's either three or four, and I'm a little funny with numbers sometimes. And yeah, every time uh, we played, we had a different uh, GM. So uh, Matt did the first one, Marcia did the second one, and then uh, 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 Liam did the third one. Um, and man, being GM by Marcia was really fun because I actually haven't played a tabletop game with her before. Um, and that was that was excellent. I loved her her sound effects that weren't the sounds that she was trying to make. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it was just it was just really fun. It was really nice. And because it was my first time playing with that whole crew, because again, I was only friends with Matt and Marcia, so I wasn't I didn't really know Laura Bailey. I knew Abria who was on it too. Um, but oh, and I knew Talison too. How do I, how can I forget? Uh, I've 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 known Talison for a really long time. He, but I think I met him separately from Matt. I'm trying to remember why. Anyway, it doesn't matter. The point is, um, it was the first time working with uh, uh, Sam and uh, Laura, and then Liam was the first time I met him. So um, they were just really nice, and it was really easy to work with them. And um, comparing them to, like, other tabletop shows I've been on, I feel like people ask me this all the time, like, would it, did it feel different? And I'm like, it just felt like a good game. Like, I don't know. It's hard to, you can't <laughs> elevate people to be, like, they're not yeah. gods. They're really good at what they do, and they're amazing mm-hmm. actors. But, like, I play with really, a lot of really good GMs, too, you know? And I think they're truly enthusiastic and passionate. And they know how to tell a damn good story with good sound effects and good voices. Um, so yeah, it was it was really fun. But you know, I enjoy every game I'm on. Really, <laughs> your cosplay on point for this. Thank show. you. That was all my own stuff. People yelled at my ears. They were like, "Those ears are too long. Those aren't like into the Elder Scrolls." And I was like, "I bought these ears, and I'm yeah. going to wear them. I do not care." <laughs> <laughs> Making fun of me for my long ears. Oh, jeez. Mm-hmm. How dare you? Rude. Uh, no, I, I had fun with that. I was actually was like, "Oh, what am I gonna?" Because I was still not, sh- I wasn't going to stores or anything back then. So I just was digging through my closet. I'm like, oh, I found this thing. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God I had this. I forgot I had it. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. Super cool. All right. Um, do you have anything uh, on the horizon besides uh, tabletop news that you'd like to talk about uh, this coming year in 2023 or 2024 that you can talk about? My brain has not been allowing myself to think about anything past the end of the Kickstarter because okay, of all my energy, real. thoughts, feelings, emotions. However, because you made me think about it, I was like, what am I doing? Um, I'm going to my friend's wedding in Hawaii in, <laughs> in October. It's not work-related. I am going to Gen Con, and I'm going to pack some plugged. I am committed mm-hmm. for those. Whether that's for Tabletop News or other companies will soon be revealed. Um, either way, of course, I always go to Gen Con because that's my fave. Yeah. Um, I still work with Hunter's Entertainment, actually. I'm, I'm a project manager there. Oh, um, cool. 
Yeah, I've been working with them for um, almost you know a year now. Because when I was at Gen Con last year, I produced that party for them, um, and I also did. Um, um, that was when I first started working with them. As was basically, I was in charge of like getting all our inform- ducks in a row to get to Gen Con and do uh, that event um, and the promotions they they did with uh, Foreteller Games. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'll be at Gen Con regardless. Uh, I'm gonna be at WonderCon tomorrow. I uh, what else is happening this year? I'm always at Comic Con because it's just a hop, skip, and a jump away down to San Diego for me um, in some capacity and uh, other conventions, other conventions. Um, I'm mostly excited for PAX Unplugged too because that man yeah. last year was so good. Have you been to PAX Unplugged? I have not. I've only been to Gen Con. I went to Gen Con last year. It's good. It's all all the East Coasty people. They yeah. all go to that one because it's it's you know it's in Philly, yeah, so yeah. they can just take a train and it's it's right. more centralized. Um, so people that I have been talking to for man, my friend London Carlisle. I've been on shows with him like three days a week for like three hours each, and then I I just like never met him in person, and then I yeah. did, and he's awesome and great, and you're all tall in person. Yeah, <laughs> Everyone's yeah, very yeah. tall in person. <laughs> um, so yeah, Pax Unplug is is a really fun convention. The last time I went to that was like their first year, and it was so much different back then, but it's fun. It's in a great town. There's a Christmas market down the street it rules uh food super good next to chinatown mm, very good um much better than gen con selection if you know what i'm trying to say gen con selection of food is like the roughest my stomach has the roughest time at gen con because it's all like burgers and fries oh yeah 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 you know what i mean uh... there's like it's uh just one of vegetable um <laughs> yeah i don't know is... so yeah that wasn't <laughs> it is all like midwest like american diners there isn't a Listen... lot else the the food trucks were good though last year right did you have any food I don't trucks? know. I didn't. I never had time to wait in those lines. Oh. Like, I was working. I was like, well, I've got half an hour, and I yeah. can't. So I'm just going to eat this sandwich I brought from my hotel. Um, I, uh, I'm i from Pittsburgh. So, like, you know, I, I, I'm i familiar with the, the foods of the area. Mm-hmm. But, um, man. Uh, but, yeah, so in the future, I don't know. Hopefully, Tabletops News makes it. And if it does, um, we'll be doing that weekly. And that's a lot. It's a, it's a huge lift to do a show like that. Um. A show like that is like a machine you turn on and you're not allowed to turn it off ever. So even if you're working on this week's episode, you have a separate, you have the B team working on the week's, the episode for the next week. You need to book the talent, <clears throat> book the crew, um, start writing, figure out your theming. Um, if there's interest pieces or interviews, you got to set that up. Um, if it's virtual or if it's live, like all the stuff, you got to, all the coordination um, takes more than one week to do for a show uh, like yeah. that. So um, once that machine's turned on, I'm working on that show as one of the producers or host, um, but always, always, I'll always be involved in production. Um, and uh, yeah, you know that's that's my plan. This would be doing tabletop news until I can't do it anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. I love that for you. Um, I'm super excited about the future of tabletop news, and um, I'm super excited that you found something that you like feel really connected with. Um, and you're passionate about. So um, I hope you are sailing that ship for as long as you can. I try my best. <laughs> All right. I'm going to hit the stop button. Okay. It's going to stop here. Yeah. Okay. Let's. Thanks so much for listening to the Dollars and Dragons podcast. If you'd like to support me and more importantly, my editor who does all of the heavy lifting here, then you can subscribe to patreon.com slash is Friday. And that is going to go straight to my editor. Appreciate it. Thank you so much.